This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Hey, welcome everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers, listeners, and subscribers. We are uh, learning tonight, we're continuing on the topic of Mashiach. Uh, tonight's the big one. This is the grand finale. This is Gogu Magog. This is like, this is what everybody is like waiting for and not waiting for at the same time. This is, you know, scary at anticipation at the same, in the same breath. So, there is a few introductions that I do have to give before we get on with it in order to understand how it will be presented and how we are to understand this. So, first of all, there, um, just in the get, from the get-go, I'm going to give you guys a bunch of sources if you want to do it, you know, this is, we're going to do one class on Gogo Magog. Well, literally, also last class was a little bit on Gogo Magog, but we're going to focus today really about the war. Um, I am not going to cover all the sources that is written in the Tanakh, so I will tell, let you guys know if you guys are interested and you want um, to read more about it, these are the sources that you can look in the Tanakh. So, first of all, the Tzicheska, the chapters 38 and 39. Zechariah, chapters 12 13 and 14, very heavily on the 14th chapter. Yomia, Jeremiah, chapter 30th. Daniel, chapters 11 and 12. And Yoel, chapter 4. Those are the places that you could look and find more information in Tanakh on Gog and Magog. Now, there is, um, I guess the most, the, the most, uh, um, heavily sourced, uh, you'll find a lot of stuff, and where mo- most people quote from is either from Yechezkel, Ezekiel, or from Zechariah. Um, and that's, uh, chapter 38 and 39 and 14, respectively. Okay, so now, the um, the commentary commentaries that that I used to that we're going to discuss tonight were mostly from the Radak and the Malbim. So we will bring other other sources, but we use we rely very very heavily on those on those commentaries. The, um, the another part of the introduction is that we will be using some Hebrew. I know some people are allergic to Hebrew, and the second that we have some Hebrew, it's in Never Neverland. Um, so bear with me. I'm trying not to use a lot, but uh, you know, for for some purposes, we do need to read uh, some Hebrew. So. And then, um, also additionally, it's, um, you know, this is a very, very hot topic. People love Gokumago. People love it. The, um, th- there's a, there's an issue that, you know, I felt personally that, you know, there's some people, I, there's some people have told me this, like they only come to classes, certain classes, whether me, whether other people, only if it's an interesting topic. And I'm like, that's not, you know, you're, this is not entertainment. You know, you're coming to learn. You're not coming to be entertained. If, but I should be very, very clear, like you should learn what you like. You should learn, you should, you should go listen to speakers that you like, and you should go and learn topics that you like. But the idea is that you're only gonna learn things that you, that you think you're gonna, you know, that, uh, you know, maybe this topic is a little, piques your interest. That's, you're, you're, you're looking for entertainment. And this is not entertainment, this is learning. So, uh, you know, I hope at the same point in time you will enjoy it, and that is, uh, you know, the, the Torah, you, you do enjoy if you learn, and, you know, just the more that you delve into it, the more that you really love and enjoy it. But there are certain people that, you know, this they'll listen to and that they won't listen to it. They'll just skip through things. The idea is that it is, it is a learning Torah. The, the, and that is the focus on the goal. Okay. So, the, um, the, uh, another part of the introduction, we're still going on a, on a few introductions, there is, a, by the end of this class, you will probably, you know, gain some clarity on some things, and then be completely confused on other things. So, you know, I don't know if you're, you know, how much, you know, we'll, we'll see what you're going to gain, but it's going to be a lot of things that you'll be like, oh, okay, that's how it's, that's going to happen. A lot of things like, how is that going to happen? It doesn't make any sense. So you're going to have to bear with me till the end, and we'll try to explain it to the best of our abilities. Also, and finally, the question, uh, you know, 
lies is, is why do we need to know all this information? The Tanakh, look how many sources I already started off with, gave us so many ideas and so many, and so many, um, uh, prophecies about the end of days. Now why do we need to know about it? Let it just worry about it. When it happens, we'll take care of it then. Why is, does the Tanakh put so much emphasis on the Gogo Magogo and the Mashiach and the end of days? And the answer is, is there's no comparison that if you're taking a test and you're ready for it versus you're taking a pop quiz that you're not ready for it. If you know what to expect, there's a better chance that you'll pass. If you don't know what to expect and it's just a surprise, there's a very fat chance that you'll, you'll be able to pass, you'll be able to survive. So the same idea is, is what we're dealing over here. And, and we could, there's a story that I, I believe I once brought of um, is somebody from the Israeli army once, uh, you know, very, very high government official in, in, the, well, in the Israeli army got kidnapped by the Arabs and uh, he was tortured for information. And he was tortured and tortured literally to the brink that he was about to give them the information because he could, just couldn't handle it anymore. And they gave him like a few minute break and they were in the other room and they were conversing with each other. And he listened to them and he's like, he's like, is that Hebrew? And he listens even more, more intensely, more closely, and he realizes that they're speaking Hebrew. And then it dawned upon him that this is not, this is not the Arabs. Rather, they are from the Israeli government. And being that he has so much information, he realized that they're testing him. From the amount of information that he has, they have to make sure for the next level of clearance that he gets, that he is a by no means way or form going to ever, uh, you know, transfer any information to the enemy. So when he, re- when they came back and he realized that those were his brothers that were just testing him, nothing broke him. He's like, oh, I got, you know, like this is going to, I'm going to be able to pass this, no problem. And they went and they tried and they tried and tried, nothing doing, he didn't break. The same idea, when we know that it is a test, it is very, very, or at least easier to uh, pass it. Okay, so, the Rabbi Khan inspector, a 19th century posik, he, uh, he, ex- he explains like this, and he says, you know, like, we're gonna be speaking about many predictions about, uh, Mashiach prophecies, better, uh, better yet. But we will only fully understand it once Mashiach comes. And the idea is, is I'm gonna have to repeat this because, there are certain times I'm going to say a few words and you picture it in your mind. Doesn't mean that the way that you picture it in your mind is the way that it's going to happen. Rather, the idea is going to happen, but we'll only see after it comes and we'll look back and be like, oh, yeah, you know, you see how everything plugs in and works in together. Okay. So, now that was the introduction, now let's begin. With the way that we are going to uh, discuss it is we're going to discuss a little bit what happens before the war and then the war itself. So, the, um, when you look at Gog, you look at, you know, who Gog, Gog Magog, everyone knows Gog Magog, so let's uh, see what the Torah says, I'll, m- many people are actually very confused, they think Gog is going to be one side, Magog is going to be the other side, and two of them are going to fight against each other, like Gog in one corner, Magog in the other corner, and the bell rings, ding, and they, you know, fight to the death, it's not like that, the, if you look at Yechezkel, chapter 38, verse 2, it says, Ben Adam, sim panecha el Gog, eretz Magog, son of man, set your face towards Gog, towards the land of Magog, we see over here, Rashi says, Gog, is the ruler of the land. Magog is the land. So it's going to be Gog from Magog. That, it's not going to be Gog versus Magog, it's Gog from Magog. So now, the question, you know, asks is, if he's one person, who's he fighting against? You know, like, we understand there are certain people that, you know, you just walk into the house or walk into the office, they are already in a fight with you that you didn't even realize. You know, you like, they're like 15 steps ahead of you because they answer for you already. You don't even be there. They'll just fill you in whenever you get there. So, but is that what really Gog, Gog is going to fight with himself and then he's going to bring other people involved with it? So, Rather, we see the sage says that who is Gog going to fight against? Gog is going to gather the entire nations of the world, the 70 nations of the world, and he's going to go and he's going to fight against God and his Mashiach, which is he's going to fight against a Jewish nation and he's going to be, it's going to be a war against, um, against God. So, the, um, the, the, you know, the, the question is also asked, when is Mashiach going to come vis-a-vis Gog? Like, is it, is the war of Gog and Magog going to start? And the Mashiach is going to come? Is the war, you know, how does it work? So, like a good Jewish machloket, 
we have all opinions covered. Some people say hey, that it's going to be that first Mashiach is going to come and then the war of Gog and Magog. Some people say no, first Gog and Magog and then Mashiach. Some people say that no, Gog and Magog is going to start. Mashiach is going to come in the middle and then Gog and Magog is going to end. So again, we'll see when, when it comes. There's also another character, part of the story that most people are not familiar with. And that is by someone by the name of Armilos. Armilos, so the, the, there are some people that say that Armilos and Gog is the same person. And some people say that, no, it's not. There's also some people that say that they're brothers. But, uh, um, you know, the, so, so there is another character that we're going to use today, uh, today, is uh, the concept of Almilos. Now, you know, we say that there's Gog from the land of Magog. Don't, like, wait, you know, wait for the news to come out and CNN is going to come out and be like, listen, you know, Gog was just elected president of the land of Magog. It'll be like, yes, this is it. This is it. You know, like, don't, we don't, and, and in fact, we'll soon see, like, you know, where is Magog? Where is the land of Magog? Um, the, the, you know, the idea behind this is, is that, um, if you go and you search on YouTube, Gog Magog, not that you should, but let's say you go on YouTube and you search Gog Magog, you'll find tons and tons of lectures and classes and shurim on it. The problem is, is that a majority of them are all Christian. They are all Christian and they all, uh, you know, they're also very interested in Gog Magog. So, uh, they bring down a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, sources and different ideas and they bring it from the Tanakh. And they speak about what, uh, you know, the difference between Gog and Magog, where, and they also bring down where Gog and Magog come from. So, um, and, and in fact, they, they, uh, some, where do they get the sources? They get the sources actually from the Torah, at least a majority of them. So, but they, the way that they exclaim, and not the, you know, this is the way that I'm using as the, the, um, commentaries on the Tanakh, that Gog is the son of Yefet, from the son of Noah. And if you're able, you know, to pinpoint the location of, of back then, then maybe you could pinpoint the location of where uh, Gog and Magog uh, come from. So some of them go and they actually come to a certain place in Russia. And, and then there are other people that they go and they're going to, and they say, no, 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 forget about that. Rather, we know that the Gemara Sanhedrin, page 94, said that God wanted to make Hizkiyahu Mashiach and Sancherev Gog from, from Magog. And uh, it didn't work out because Chizkiyahu did not uh, sing Shira. Uh, we'll speak about that because Hashem only one day. Just a brief, uh, you know, just introduction on that. The um, so so then what people do is okay. So let's work backwards. Let's find out where Sanchev came from. If he didn't know where he came from, since he was going to be Gog, we can find out where Gog, uh, where where Magog is. And um, so they go and they say over there is a place in Persia, Iran, Iraq, somewhere in, in that area. Um, the problem with that is is we look at the Malbim. The Malbim in Yechezkel chapter thirty eight verse seventeen that he says as follows that in days before Mashiach comes, the name Gog and the name Magog will be forgotten. We won't really know where it's from and where it's located. Rather, once it comes and, you know, it fulfills the prophecies that we see that it's fulfilled, then we know it's going to be from, from that area. So to go and start figuring out where it comes from, uh, there's no need to, to uh, waste your time. Okay. I want to share with you the, um, something Rabbi Akiva Tatz, the way that he explained it, explained it so beautifully, and I want to share that with you. So first of all, um, he explains us something as follows, that the... Many times, the source of our troubles is the salvation as well. And he brings an example from Yosef. Yosef, uh, we know that when the tribes, when the brothers went to um, to Egypt to get food, and they stood in front of Yosef. They didn't know that that was Yosef. They stood in front of a ruler. And he said, listen, I'll give you the food, but, you know, I want you to bring your younger brother, Benjamin. So they went back to the father and says, please, come on, you got to help us, you got to bring him. And he says, no, this is my, you know, my son. That you know, I can't, I already lost Yosef. I can't lose also Benjamin. And they convinced him, Yehuda convinced him. He says, listen, come on, Mike, don't worry about it. I'm bringing him back. And they uh, go back and forth, and fine. They go and they send him. And finally they go and he brings Benjamin in front of Yosef, and Yosef says, fine. You know, after the whole spiel, he says, yeah, everybody could go home, Benjamin has to stay with me. The, the brothers were ready to, to tear apart Egypt. They, they had plans of destroying the entire Egypt to bring back Benjamin, because they told their father they're bringing back Benjamin, and they are bringing back Benjamin. So their source of the trouble was, who was Yosef? 
Suddenly, you know, short uh, moments go by, and all of a sudden, Yosef couldn't hold himself back, and he says, what? Ani Yosef, I am Yosef, is my, bro- is my father still alive? Which means is, the source of their trouble was also the source of their salvation at the same point in time. So, we'll see that that happens a lot also in the times and the end of days. I want to share with you a very, very hard to understand, Yalkut Haroim, as follows. The nation of Israel is going to go to the Arabs, and they're going to say, listen, the holy temple is ours. Take the gold, take the silver, but leave the temple to us. And the Arab says, no, 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 you have no claim in the temple. The temple's ours. He says, we'll make a test. This is what the Arabs come back. Say, we'll make an offering, you'll make an offering. And then we'll see, we'll pray, and we'll see whichever, whichever the offering that God accepts, that will know that the other person has to go and convert into the other faith. So the Jew says, fine, God is going to listen to their offering, you know. Fine. They go, they shake it, whatever, they bow it, whatever it is that they do, and they agree to it. And they prepare their offerings. And somehow, guess whose offering is going to get accepted? The Arabs' offering is going to get accepted, and the Jewish offering is not going to get accepted. So the Arabs are going to go to the Jews and say, listen, a deal is a deal, come join us. And the Jews said, <laughs> we're either going to be killed or get killed, but we're definitely not joining your nation. So they went, and there's going to be a war. And they will fight. And at this point in time, the, the, the Yalkut Aramim brings down over here that there's somebody by the name of Nehemiah. Now, just as an introduction, you know, if you look at the holy books, uh, when it speaks about Nehemiah, so it's, it's most likely referring to Mashiach ben Yosef. Because Mashiach ben Yosef, it, uh, they give two names over, over there. Either Nehemiah ben Hoshil or Menachem ben Amil. Now, does it mean that this is literally going to be his name? Or is it figuratively the name what it represents? I don't know. We'll find out when it gets there. But those are two names that are associated with Mashiach ben Yosef. So when it says over here Nehemiah, very likely that it's referring to Mashiach ben Yosef. So Mashiach ben Yosef is going to be in this part of this war. And here he's going to get killed. And after they kill out uh, Mashiach ben Yosef, the Jews are going to be and they're going to be exiled. They're going to go, we're going to run out to the deserts. And in the deserts, they're going to stay for 45 days. And after 45 days, from there, Eliyahu and Mashiach ben David will go and sprout from it. We'll, we'll, we'll expound a little bit about this uh, later. But that was the end of, the, of that Yalkut. So we see over here something very, very hard to understand. And how is it possible that Ishmael will get listened to? And the Jewish people will not get listened to by God? It doesn't make any sense. Again, how, what does it mean? Does it mean a fire will fall down from heaven? It's going to fall? I don't know. We'll find out when we get there. But, but the idea, the concept is very, very hard to understand. What does that mean that the, the, you know, the Islamic people, they're going to get, they're going to be listened to. The Jewish people are not. So explains Rav Simcha Wasman. This was asked him. And he said, listen, he says as follows. He says it's going to be exactly that process, but not necessarily that scenario. And he explains that the final test is going to be a test of faith. And then we're going to see that very, very strongly. And we spoke about it. And the, the final test is going to be a test of faith. And you're going to, you're going to be tested to the brink. Where you're not, you're not going to be short. And the people that are going to be able to go and persevere and hold on, those are going to be people that are going to make it until the end. So the idea behind this is, is it's going to be a test. And it's a very severe test of faith. When you see somebody else, you know, goes and, and, you know, that uh, you, the opposite religion gets, you know, that you've been preaching all these years, all of a sudden gets accepted. It makes you have a really big test of faith. Okay. So, the, um, and, and again, so this is the idea that we're going to have to, we're only understand it once it happens, and then we'll be able to plug in everything after, uh, after the fact. The Zohar says something like this. The Zohar says that uh, the Chavle Mashiach will divide into two separate periods. There's going to be a period of 70 years, like the 70 words in Tehillim chapter 20th, Ya'an Chashem B'Yom And then it's going to be a period of nine months, corresponding to the nine verses in that same chapter. So, um, and the Zohar explains that as it goes on, it gets more and more difficult, sort of like a woman who's about to give birth. So the more closer that you get to labor, the more difficult it gets, and the more painful it gets for the woman. Sometimes for the husband also, so, um, depending on the relationship. So, uh, 
But at the end of these 90 days, the last 45 days, that's going to be the most severe. And that's what we're referring to over here, the last 45 days of days in the desert. So, the... Um, Okay, now we're going to share with you a, um, a Midrash Tapiot. This Midrash Tapiot is going to be very difficult to understand. And by the way, I hope that you realize how much I'm emphasizing things that are very difficult to understand. And I know I'm saying it often, and I will continue saying it often, because we have to take this and we have to see how we are going to understand it. Is this going to be literal? Is this going to be, meta- you know, is this going to be something that's figuratively? You know, only we'll be able to understand when we get there, but let me share with you um, this uh, Midrash Tapiot. Nidash Tapiyah brings down ten signs that is going to be before, that the coming of Mashiach was that this was revealed to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So the first sign is that there's going to be pillars of fire that's going to come down from heaven and they will stand from earth to heaven. And uh, it's very interesting because I, I saw this only recently that there are videos circulating that they see lights in the sky. Sometimes multiple suns, like they don't understand what's what's going on. Some of them say that it's the planet Nebru. You know, I'm, again. I don't buy into all the conspiracy theories. I don't know. I didn't do enough research to see if it exists. If it doesn't exist, if it's, you know, whatever it is. But the, 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 you still see these lights. You see these lights. Sometimes you see something very interesting. You see like a, a beam of like red light that's just like no one can understand and to explain what it is. So we see this that it's already happening. You see some sort of lights that are happening. And we also spoke about the, about noises, that you hear noises in the, in the skies. If you go search online, you could, you could hear these uh, people videotape where you see noises coming down. It sounds like shofar from the distance. So that's the first sign. The first sign was the lights, the fire. The second sign is there's going to be three men that go out. One of them will stand over the grave and awake the dead. The second man will light his eyes and skin, and the third man will heal the cripple with magic. And 80,000 people of the Jewish nation will wrongly follow this, uh, this, uh, these three people. When these three people are not from B'nai Yisrael, the, um, the ones that got mixed with the B'nai Yisrael. The third sign is that God will take out three rainbows, and they will stand in the heavens for three days and three nights. And they're going to be seen from one end of the world to the other end of the world. That is the third. The uh, fourth sign, the fourth sign, okay, now I need an, I, again, this, is it going to happen literally? Is it going to happen figuratively? We only, see. Chronological order or? I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't say. The, um, you know, this is something very interesting. All these ten signs, I've, uh, usually the way that I prepare my shiurim, so first I go, do all my research, I go learning all the sources, I look up all the books, and I look up all the, you know, all the sources that I can possibly find, and then I like to also, if possible, to also listen to see how other people present the topic. So other good speakers, other uh, good people, the Tamidei Chachamim, how they present the same topic. Out of all the classes that I listened to, for some reason, these things were not really brought down. And first of all, why do that? You have to, you know, who is a wise man? Somebody who learns from everybody else. So you have to go and learn how everybody else is doing it, and then you're able to learn a lot also, and you're able to gain a lot of uh, knowledge. Just incidentally, this is uh, something, you know, there, there are people that, uh, you know, let's say they say, they say, no, why don't you go to this rabbi's class? He's speaking about X and X topic. He's like, oh, no, rabbi, I know that about that. I know about this already. The second that you think you know about something, it just shows that you don't know about something. You, know, you don't know something. When you start realizing that you don't know about something, then you're probably starting to know about it. You know, so, so many people, you know, they don't, you know, they think they know about everything. So this is something very interesting that I didn't find a lot of people speak about this. And, and if I could be honest, I don't think I found one person. I may, you know, I've heard a lot of other classes, so maybe, maybe it came, maybe different people, you know, generally when people speak about Mashiach, they speak about, you know, Zechariah, Ezekiel, you know, the, the prophecies which we'll also speak about. Sometimes the Zohar brings that from Shemot. But a lot of things that I've, that I've learned, I didn't bring it out. And it's possible because it's very difficult to understand. And that could be why they left it out. So I hope I'm doing the right thing by, put, by putting it in there and, and sharing with you. But the idea is, and this is why I, you know, I want you to, to, to get this uh, very, very clear, that I don't know if it's going to be literally, figuratively to understand it. We'll see when it happens. But I'm sharing with you the information. The fourth sign, that it's going to rain. 
It's going to rain from heaven for three days and three nights, but it's not going to be rain. It's going to be blood. And 80,000 men that went astray with those three false messengers, they will drink that blood and they will, uh, will water the blood, water, and they will die. The fifth sign is that then God's going to send the dew upon the, upon the, from the heaven to the, to the earth for three days and three nights. And this is going to heal all what the blood damage that the blood uh, caused. The sixth sign is that the land, it will be dark. And uh, the, the, it will be dark for the nations of the world and light for Am Yisrael, similar to what we have in Egypt. And the Zohar in Shemot says like this. He says that there's going to be darkness in the world for 15 days. 15 days and it's going to... Um, it's going to continue, and unfortunately, many, many Jews will perish during that, uh, during that time. There, um, also, we see this in the verses, not only in the Zohar, not only in the Midrash, and you look in the verses straight out. In Yol, chapter 4, verse 15, it says, the sun, and the, the, the sun, moon, and stars will lose their light. And the Malbim explains on this, says the heavenly system will not function. And he explains also that the heavenly directives will be canceled, and they will not act in their systematic way. So this will cause darkness and confusion to go upon the entire nations of the world. And also in, in Yol, chapter 3, verse 4, it says the sun will turn into darkness and the moon will turn into blood. And the Evan Ezra says on this, he says that the, literally the heavenly orbs of light will dim. They will actually dim. And uh, Barbanel also explains in a different manner, he explains that the sun refers to uh, Edom, Esav, and he, the moon is referred to Ishmael. And if you, it's interesting because the moon, um, the, the, the Hachsha for the, you know, the Hachsha, the kosher sign for the, I think it's a moon, and for, for the halal meat, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, but we see of here, if you just pause this for a second, the, imagine that scene where like the sun, like the, I don't know how it's gonna play out, and the sun's not gonna come up, or the sun's gonna be there and it's gonna be darkness. Can you imagine the craziness of what will happen? Like who's gonna, they're gonna try to explain it from all meteorological perspectives and things like that, but come on, you know, when the, when the stars and the moon and the sun stop, stop shining and it's gonna be darkness, imagine the chaos that is gonna go into the world. And we'll soon see like to the extent of this chaos is, is really going to be a very, very serious amount of chaos into the world. That was the sixth sign. The seventh sign. The seventh sign is that the king of Edom will come to Yerushalayim. And all the Ishmaelim, all the, the Islamic people, they'll run away. Uh, but they'll, and it actually says they'll run to Yemen. I don't know, again, is it this current day Yemen or, you know, what the word is, but it says they will go to Yemen. And they will gather a big army, and then they will go and they'll make war against each other. They're gonna go back and they're gonna make war against Edom. But however, the king of Edom will go and will destroy the ruler of, of Ishmael. And he'll go and he'll, he'll, uh, he'll win over them. So, the, um, the eighth sign is that Hashem will suddenly take out Nehemiah ben Chushil, which we said was Mashiach ben Yosef. And he will make war with the king of Edom, and he will kill him. And now this is where, where Mashiach ben Yosef will start becoming uh, you know, popular, and the world will know about him. Then there's going to be the ninth sign. The ninth sign is what we spoke about earlier, that there's going to be a man that's going to come out of Rome, and his name is Armilus. And Armilus, he is going to be, he's going to be he's, this guy is going to be the one who's going to fight against God. And he's going to be so... Uh, I can't, I don't even have the words to explain it. Listen to what, how he's gonna, he's gonna sit on his chair. He's gonna be extremely, extremely powerful. Ruling over, you know, the tremendous part of the world. He's gonna be extremely, extremely powerful. And he's gonna say like this. And he's gonna, first of all, he's gonna tell the nations of the world. This also brings down a Midrash HaChalos. Um, and he goes and he says that he's gonna go to the nations of the world and he's gonna say, I'm your Messiah. And, uh, he's gonna say, even say, I'm your God. And they're gonna believe him. They're gonna believe, the nations of the world are gonna believe him. And then he's gonna go to the Jews and he's gonna say, bring me your Torah. And even more so, he says, bring me the Torah that I gave you. So Mashiach ben Yosef is going to be around. He's going to bring the Torah. And he's going to open it up. And it says, listen, look what it says over here. And it says, There's going to be no other gods to you. So, Amilus is going to say, you know, I don't believe with this Torah. And they, and they reply back to him. He says, if you don't believe in this Torah, then you're not only you're not God, you're from the Satan side. 
So he goes back to them and he says, I'm not going to let you go until you testify that I am God. And Mashiach Ben Yosef Nechemia gets up. And he says, not only you are not God, you are the Satan. And then they're going to get up, there's going to be a big war between Mashiach Ben Yosef and between Almilos. And there's going to be casualties on both sides. And, um, but this, unfortunately, at this, in this war, this is where Almilos is going to go. And he is going to kill uh, many, many Jews as well. Included is he's going to kill Mashiach Ben Yosef. And this is where the, the Jewish people will go and run out to the desert for that remainder of 45 days, which we spoke about earlier. Over here, we, we see in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 12, that the, the Jewish nation will eulogize him. It says, The land will mourn every family. What are they mourning? They're mourning the death of Mashiach Ben Yosef. The, during the time in the desert, the Jewish people, they're going to be surviving off uh, the salty roots that they're going to find in the desert. And over there, they're going to do a heavy, heavy repentance. And the righteous people, they're going to, the salty roots, they're not only not going to do any damage to their stomachs, they're actually, it's going to taste like man to them. Because they have nothing to repent for. They're, they're righteous people. And it's going to be, you know, a, um, you know, there's just going to be a time where they're going to get stronger in their belief to God. So see, it's going to be a very, very uh, difficult time. But if Haigoyen asks, says, how is it possible that why does God give Almiro to Gog why did he give him permission to kill Mashiach ben Yosef? He says, I don't understand. You have here a holy person. You have here. Why does God give him permission? And answers are five going and he says, this is going to be because this is going to be a test. What is going to be the test? This is going to be a test because everybody's going to say, be like, listen, this is Mashiach. He finally came. And all of a sudden, now that he's here, he gets killed by the non-Jews. That's it. It's done. We're off. We're, we're done with the whole, uh, with the whole, uh, uh, Mashiach. It's obviously we know we made a mistake. It's gonna be a very, very severe test of faith. Similar to, to, you know, what we had a test of faith, uh, you know, with the fake Mashiachs, which Bizarre will speak about also. Um, but we see this is a very serious test of faith that it's going to, it's gonna be. And the Rambam, in Igera Teman, brings down also, he says that our exile, the, as it becomes longer, and the troubles before us, unfortunately many, many people will leave the nation, the religion. And the Rambam goes on, and he says that all the troubles in the end of days are all a test of belief and truth. To see what it is. And this way the Rambam goes, and he says this way you have to be careful, you have to make sure that you teach a woman and her children so they don't have any questions on belief, on emunah. The Chafetz Chaim writes and says also further on this topic, he says you shouldn't be surprised by the, the success that people have, the people that deny the Torah. People that they go against the Torah, you see they're successful. He says no, this is also a test. There's a very, very serious test of faith in the end of days. Also, besides the fact that also the, they're getting the reward in this world. The, um, the, the, Yechezkel, in chapter 38, verse 23 says that just like in the, in the days of Egypt, the people did not believe in God, and God performed tremendous miracles, and all of a sudden they, they started, they believed in God, so too in the end of the days. They're, God, you know, the unfortunate people are not gonna believe in God, they're gonna fight against God. And then God's gonna be miracles upon miracles, and plagues upon plagues, and just like they believed in uh, the time of Egypt, so too they'll believe in the time of of Gog and Magog in the time of Mashiach. The tenth sign is that God will take Mashiach ben David out. And this is where, you know, this is where this is going to come out from the desert over there. And the Jewish people, this is where they're going to lay and they're finally going to, you know, you know, scream their repentance. And God's going to answer back, you know, you forgiven. And this is where the, the you know, the final era, the, the final, I guess the, the beginning of the end actually uh, starts. And this, at this point in time, there's going to be a very, very large shofar blast. And where is the shofar going to be taken from? It's going to be the right horn of Yitzchak's uh, sacrifice, which was in place of him when he went, was he was supposed to be sacrificed. And this is going to be a tremendous noise that's going to be heard around the world. And this is going to cause a, uh, the nations of the world to, to fear, uh, to, you know, to actually get scared from like, you know, where is this coming from? What is this noise? So, this, when Almilos hears, now Almilos is still alive, by the way. Almilos, now he hears that Meshach ben David is coming up. 
So what he's going to do, he's going to gather, the, this is where he gathered the 70 nations of the world. And as we see in, in Tehilim, chapter 2, verse 2, the kings of the earth get, stand up and they gather in council together. They're get, they're get, and they're going to go and they're going to fight against God and against Mashiach, Mashiach, this time Mashiach ben David. However, over here, as we see in Isaiah, uh, chapter 11, verse 4, he's going to hear, he's going to kill Almirot. And how he's going to kill him? By the breath of his lips. Somehow, somehow he's going to kill him just by that. And uh, so we see over here, if we could just summary it up, the, um, at first, you know, Amilus is going to go up to Yerushalayim, and he's going to kill Mashiach ben Yosef. And afterwards, Mashiach ben David is going to come, and he's going to kill Amilut uh, with the speech of his mouth. Okay, so that was to the beginning. Uh, the, now I want to speak a little bit about the actual war, about the actual war of Gog and Magog. So, we know that this is going to be a three-part war. And Rav Elchanan Wasserman uh, brings it down in, in the name of the Chafetz Chaim. He says that this three-part war... Two parts already passed. We have, um, you know, the first part was World War One. This is what the name of the Chavetz Chaim. The second part was World War Two, and the third part is going to be World War Three. And he and he even went. He says the Chavetz Chaim passed away. Um, was it right? Uh, he passed away right after the. I think it was World War One. It was the right before, or right after. So. He says, and it was right after. He says, he says um, that, and he, and, he, and he said, there's going to be about 25 years to 30 years after World War One. There's going to be another war. That's going to be World War Two. And he says that war is going to be child play. It's going to be like games to what was was done in World War One. And in, then, in a short while after that, there's going to be a World War Three, and that is also going to make child, you know, World War Two look like uh, like child play. So we can see what we, unfortunately, what we have uh, to look forward to. The, and furthermore, it said also that the by the the Third World War by the Gog and Magog, the entire nation of the world, the, the entire world is going to be affected by it. Now, like, you know, World War II was only separate, uh, different parts of it. But over here, the, 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 the entire world is going to be affected by it. So, we have a tradition from the Vilna Gon. So this is going to be the war. The war is going to be involved with the whole war. How long is it going to last? The Vilna Gon says it's going to last 12 minutes. 12 minutes. And if you think about it, back then, you're talking about 200 years ago, how can you possibly have a war for 12 minutes? You know, like, by the time you get to the battlefield, it's already a few days. You know, where is it, how is it possible to have a 12-minute war? So, when, when I look at the, at the Tsukim, you can see that it looks like some sort of atomic nuclear uh, war. And by the way, we see also in, in, uh, in Isaiah, chapter 26, verse 20, it says, Hide for but a moment until the wrath passes, which means we see it denoting a very, very quick time. So, when you look about it, thank you, when you look about a war that can last only 12 minutes, let's look at the verse in Zechariah, Chapter 14, verse 12. And it says like this. It says that the flesh, his flesh is going to rot while he still stands on his feet. Thank you. His eyes will waste, will rot, waste away in their sockets and his tongue will rot in his mouth. Which means is, is, uh, to understand this, first of all, Rashi explains that, that this denotes the falling off of limbs. They're just gonna fall off. The, um, but to, to explain a little bit on this pasuk, we see over here that it's something very interesting. The pasuk says that while he stands, Everything is gonna rot. What that means is, is that usually, you know, let's say somebody shoots a bow and arrow or a gun. What happens to the person is that he gets hit and then he falls down and he withers in pain and he, you know, that's it, and the process continues from there. In both instances. But if you look at it, something like an atomic or nuclear or something in the, of that nature, the, it's, the pasuk says that the guy, the, the, unfortunately the victim is not even gonna have time to fall down. That the limbs are gonna start falling off while he still stands. The, the eyes are gonna melt. The, you know, the tongue is going to melt. The limbs are going to fall off. You're talking about, it really sounds nuclear. It sounds, you know, it, it really, it, you know, it sounds like that. So, the, um, 
And if you, if you go even further, first of all, this is also, um, you know, going to affect the animals as well, obviously. But the Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 13, is going to be so, there's going to be so much craziness that one friend is going to stick out another friend to help, to help the other one, but he's going to stick out his hand. But from the craziness, the other one's going to think that he's going against him. So he's going to go and he's going to start fighting against him and he's going to kill his friend who wanted to go and, and help him. And furthermore, that's what the Mitzvah David explains. Furthermore, what they'll do is, is that they see the hand, so they'll try to grab the hand. But what happens is when they grab the hand, the hand's just going to fall out of the socket. It's just going to you know, pop off and they're just going to be literally holding the hand. We can see that the, the craziness that's going to um, entail in these things. And it's, we see in Yechezkel, chapter 38, verse 21. It says, Every man's sword will be against his brother. There's going to be so much craziness that no one's going to know which side is fighting for what. And they're going to just going to, they're going to be destroying amongst themselves. Um, and then we see also in Zechariah, also something crazy. Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 4. It says, A horse and the rider will be stricken with madness and blindness. And this will forget, the people will forget to follow the proper strategy, the battle strategy, and they're gonna go, and they're gonna be just completely ineffective fighters. And again, the, the idea behind horses is modes of transportation is what it was. So rather maybe it means tanks and airplanes. Now it's not so hard to understand. You know, we, we see over here with all our advanced technology, we still have planes that just disappear off the face of the earth. We have no idea where it was. And they, you know, it just goes dark. So it's not so unlikely that this, uh, you know, that this could, that could happen. But if you just picture for a moment the craziness of how it's going to be, people's limbs are falling off, their their faces are melting, their sockets are melting and rotting at the same time. You, you think about something that we've never seen before since the history of the world. It's something that is extremely like no, you, there's no hiding for it. There's no there's no running away from it. The there's also going to be a siege. This siege, Radak explains in Zechariah chapter twelve, verse twelve, verse two that they are going to try to capture Jerusalem three times. The first two times is not going to be successful. The third time they will be successful. And it says as Gog is going to go up to uh, Yerushalayim to try to capture it, he will, he will gather up the Jewish youths also to help him in the siege around uh, Yerushalayim. And once he captures it, the Radak explains that half the inhabitants of the city will be expelled. And they will go into ten camps. They'll, they'll, they'll have to run. And the other half, will the ones that are not exiled, they're going to be remaining in their places. And this is all, the way that it's all gonna fall down, it's gonna be very, very similar to the same way that it happened in Egypt. The, you know, the, in the Medrashtan Huma, in Parashat Bo, says also that just like the plagues came in Egypt, there's gonna be plagues, the same similar, similar ideas of plagues also by, uh, that fall on Edom. Just like there was blood, there's gonna be blood over here also. Just like there was frogs with loud noises, there's gonna be noises also. Just like, you know, there was hail, and we're gonna soon see where, you know, how many things, it's gonna all replay itself. Um, the, you know, when we speak about noise, it says in Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 6, it says, V'kol sha'on me'il. There's going to be a sound that's stirring from the city. And soon we're going to see where these sounds are actually going to be uh, in reference to. There's also going to be hail. If you look at Yechezkel, chapter 38, verse 22, which brings down, it says, I will judge him with pestilence, excuse me, and with blood. Rain and rain bringing floods and grail hailstones, great, I'm sorry, great hailstones. Fire and brimstone, I will rain upon them. The Malik Hara explains, um, you know, where, where, you know, this is exactly like he did in Egypt. The hailstones, by the way, the hail, if you remember from when we spoke about in the, the, the class on the, the exodus of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the, it was miraculous. You're talking about ice and, and fire inside and it literally had like, you know, GPS navigation and it went just like, it hit target on the dock. And when they hit the target, it exploded into flames. It literally sounds like bombs nowadays. That's how it sounds like. So it's going to be very similar to that. It's going to be the same hail. Because what happened was, the Medrash and Chuman, Bayera, explains, it says that Moshe, when he prayed that the hail should stop, you know, Paul ran to him and says, please stop, stop, stop all this, all this nonsense. You got, you know, every time he says you can go out. So he says, please pray that it stops. So Moshe prayed that it should stop. The problem is, is the hail already left the heavens to come down to the world. But he prayed that it should stop. So they can't go back. 
they can't go there, so they sort of remain stationary in the heavens. Again, where is it? How come we can? I, I'm not answering that. I'm just presenting the information. But it says that it came down. It uh, there they this hail already fell before between this time. It fell in the time of Yeshua, and it's also going to fall. The remainder of it is going to fall in the time of Gog. So the same hail, literally the same hail from Yitzhak Mitzrayim, is going to fall also in the time of uh, Gog Umagog. So. Yechezka also goes on in chapter 39, verse 17, that due to the large number of slain, there's going to be so many dead people all over the place that the, the fowl and the beast of the, of, of the field will consume the fresh the flesh and drink their blood. They're going to start eating the, cor- the corpses. The, and it's, it brings down, this means that even the, you know, based off the Yechezka, chapter 39, verse 4, even the fowl that don't usually eat meat, there's going to be so much abundance of all this stuff over here that they're going to go and they're going to start eating the flesh over here. So what's going to happen? What the you know how many people are going to be able to survive? Zechariah, chapter thirteen, verse eight. It says a half, a third. I'm sorry, a third of the world is going to be destroyed. A third of the world is going to be injured, and a third of the world is going to be speared. Um, and the Malbim explains on this, uh, on this on this pasuk in Zechariah that who is going to be the ones that remain? Only the ones who truly believe in the true belief. Not people that believe in everything else. And by the way, when you truly believe about something, that means that you know actions speak louder than words. It's depending on what you do. When you do it, that shows that you believe it. So you show that you believe it by keeping Shabbat. You show that you believe it by listening to God, listening to the Torah. The Radak um, goes on and explains also that after the defeat of Gog and his armies, the only the non-Jews who return to God with all their hearts and acknowledge Him as the King of the world, they are the only ones who are going to be remained. This is on uh, the Radak and Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 16. The, there's, uh, so, so we see over here that the criteria for surviving the end of days is not building a bunker. It's not, you know, surviving, you know, the, you know, an a zombie apocalypse. That's not what's going to save you. But rather is, we see over here very, again and again, it's the strength of your emunah and your, and, and your closeness to God and how you, you delve and you keep, and you cling on to the Torah. The, Zechariah also says that he's going to bring a third into fire. And this is also very interesting because this is going to be a test of converts, for the converts. It's going to be a test for the converts to see they're going to be so tested with the faith, they're going to be like, okay, now this is really going to test them, make it or break it. Are they going to go screaming back to their old gods and be like, listen, there's something going on over here that's wrong over here. And they're wrong. So here, you know, basically shows them the true colors. Or are they going to keep on, they're going to stick uh, strong. And this is where the, you know, the Gemara and Abu Brings down in Avodah 3b says something very very interesting and what's going to happen. He says that uh, you know in the future, which is referring to the time Mashiach comes, the non-Jews the Nachrim they're going to go and they're going to convert. The question is asking Gemara, but we don't allow conversions at the end of the days. So we you know we know that during the time of David and Shlomo and Mashiach there's no conversion. Obviously, when you see everything is going the right way and you see there's no test anymore, you're obviously going to want to convert. The conversion you know the the store is closed for conversion. So. What does the Torah mean? What is the Chazal saying that they're going to convert in the future? So the answer, the Gemara answers, it says, no, no, no. The non-Jews are going to convert themselves. They're going to convert themselves. They're going to get tefillin. They're going to put on their heads and their arms. They're going to put on tzitzit. They're going to put mezuzot. And they're going to convert themselves. And by the way, incidentally, this is something, you know, I, I see nowadays. I have people ask me many times from far outs in the world. You're talking about far places in Africa, far places in, you know, the parts that, you know, I didn't even know that anybody knows about Judaism, let alone Jews exist over there. And they say, um, Rabbi, can you please send me some tefillin? And I'm like, you know, I know this guy is from like very far off. I'm like, why do you need tefillin? So he says, you know, I, I need to put on tefillin. I'm like, you know, I'm assu- you know, I have to again assume, you know, like non-Jews, you don't put on tefillin. So um, he's like, no, no, I'm Jewish. And I'm like, you're Jewish? I'm like, who converted you? 
So he's like, no, I came from Messianic Judaism. I hear the story again and again, and I found the real truth of the Torah, so now I'm Jewish. And they think, unfortunately, or sometimes it's really unfortunate, because sometimes these people actually get people, they, they do fake conversions. People come over there, and they see, and they do some fake conversion. Yeah, some guy from my community, he was a pastor for Messianic Judaism, he decided to convert to Judaism, and he converted all of us. <laughs> who gave him the authority? It's hilarious. I'm like, what, what do you mean you converted? You think anybody could just go and sprinkle some water in you and you converted? It doesn't work that way over here. So um, I, I, I explained to them, I'm like, first of all, you should know that you're not a Jew. And you have to actually, if you do want to become a Jew, you have to go through a legit conversion. And, um, you know, don't be fooled by it. But, you know, still be a righteous Noahide. But we see over here, even nowadays, there are non-Jews that they convert, convert themselves, and they think they're themselves as full-fledged Jews, and they call themselves Jews, and but they're not. Um, so we see that it's already happening uh, nowadays. But anyways, going back to the Gemara. So Gog and Magog are going to become, and these converts are going to see these armies of Gog and Magog and come significant amount of armies. So they're going to be like, you know, very nervous. They'll be like, you know, hey guys, what you doing? You know, so Gog and Magog is going to, you know, Gog from Magog is going to pry back and says, uh, you know, we're coming to fight, uh, you know, God and his Mashiach. And they say, you know, they see some kippah over there, some tzitzit, some tzitzit, and says, you guys are Jewish. And they're quickly going to throw everything up and be like, no, 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 what are you talking about, Jews? No, 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 we're not, we're not Jews. You know, so over here, they're going to cast off all their mitzvahs and they're going to leave. And this is going to show them also for two the colors for what they are. So, the, um, the Pasuk in Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 2, also speaks about it, how terrible it's going to be that the city of Jerusalem is going to be captured. And the houses are going to be plundered and the women are going to be taken. And unfortunately, you know, there's going to be tremendous suffering going to be for the, for the people of there. And uh, Zechariah, in chapter 14, verse 3, says, And God is going to go out and He's going to fight against the nations of the world. He's going to fight against the nations of the world. Um, which, by the way, I know some people, you know, like they, were, they, they told me this before, be like, when Mashiach comes, he says, I'm taking a bat. I'm going to walk through town, and I'm just going to go, you know, I'm like, listen, I'm very happy, you know, it says in the Psukim, God is going to fight that war, I'm very good with that, you know, God can fight the war a lot better than I can, and I'm going to give, you know, all that for it to be just the way the Psukim said it. But some people, you know, they got the thirst, the thirst for revenge in their blood. This is something very interesting, listen to this, the... Pasuk in Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 4. There's the, the Harazetim, the mountain of olives, you know, right near, um, the Kotel, there's a, there's Harazetim over there. So there's gonna be an earthquake, and the mountain's gonna split into two. And it's gonna split, uh, from north to south, so it's gonna split it this way, so there's gonna be a valley that's gonna run from east to west. So it's gonna be run from east to west, there's gonna be a valley in between uh, that. And we see also in Yoab, Chapter 4, verse 16. And God will roar from Zion. There's some people say that all this noises is re- reference to this earthquake that's going to happen, that the Halazi team is going to split. And the Ma'am Laws brings down it's going to be a very, very long valley, but it's going to be very shallow. And we see also in Yechezkel, chapter 38, verse 19. It says, There's going to be a great noise in the land of Israel. So some people, the way that this great noise is going to be that earthquake that's going to literally split the mountain. Um, which, by the way, anything that I said so far in itself is crazy. But imagine everything together. This is, this is something unreal. It's almost like it's sci-fi. So the Pasuk in Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 8, says that the valley, and, I, and again, I, I think that it's referring to this valley, um, is going to be filled with spring water, and there's going to be a great river that's going to, that's going to pass uh, through it over here. So, the, at the end, what's going to happen is, is that the entire Gog's army is going to be perished. So much so, 
that the Malbim says that they are not going to be able to bury their dead. Why can't they bury their dead? Because now there's not going to be anybody around to bury their dead. That's how, that's how it's going to be. So what is going to be? The Yisrael is going to go and bury them. Yisrael is going to go and bury them and it's going to take them. If you look at um, Yechezka chapter 39 verse 12, it says, it says to them it's going to take them seven months. The amount of people to, that they need to bury, it's going to take seven months to bury them. That's how many people that, uh, that, you know, that, that are going to be, uh, that need to be buried. And the Radak also goes and explains where Gog is, Gog is going to go and be buried. It also says, like, he's going to die, and they, and they give a place of his burial. And his burial is going to be in the east of the Sea of the Kinneret. You guys are familiar with Kinneret and Tfalia over there? In Israel, up north, there's a, there's a, you know, it's called the Kinneret over there. And there is where he is going to go, and he's going to be buried. Now, why does he get, why does he merit burial? After all that he did, why does he merit burial? And the answer is, because, um, the, you know, by, he, uh, Gog comes from Yefet. Uh, the Jewish people, they come from Shem. We're talking about Noach's sons. Right, Shem, Ham, and Yafet. So, so from Yafet comes Gog, from Shem comes the Jewish people. Now, what happened was, is after Noach left the ark, he made some wine and he got drunk. And he was lying there in his, uh, you know, without any clothes on. So, two children, Shem and Yafet, went and they covered his father. So Shem got, re- they each got rewarded. Shem gets reward for, for having the Jewish nation come descend from him. Yafet, he gets reward for his descendant Gog to marry burial. Now, if you ask me, they're like, you know, come on, not such a fair equal splitting of the reward. In one place, you got the Jewish nation. Another one, you got just a burial for Gog. And um, in in Genesis chapter 9, verse 23, explains on this, and explains that the reason for that is, the reason for the difference of the reward is because Shem, he's the one who initiated the good deed. He's the one who initiated this and says, come, let's go call. Yefet acted more passive, and that's why you see the difference in their uh, reward. The amount of fuel of uh, wood and and just uh, just just amount of of ammunition that they're that they're going to bring to Israel to fight against the Jewish nation is going to be able to last as fuel for the Jewish nation for seven years. If you look at Yechezkel chapter thirty nine verse nine, imagine what it is. And now you don't see that. You know Russia has has a bunch of nuclear weapons on a ship. I don't know how much. I think over two hundred, like a crazy crazy amount. So you know it's not so far from you know from visualizing it that the amount of you know that will be able to the energy will be able to last for two uh, for seven years. There's going to be something um, also, this is going to be the good part, that in Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 1, that it says that the, the plunder is going to be shared with you. And what this means is that the nations of the world, when they're going to come fight against the Jewish nation, they're going to be coming with all their wealth. And after they get destroyed, so they're going to have all this wealth. So what are we going to do with it? So it's going to be divided up amongst Israel. Israel. The wealth, so, and how is it going to be divided up? So if the non-Jews, what they stole from the Jewish money, you know, forever, how well, how much ever they stole in the generations to come, they are going to, the, the, everyone's going to get the, the money back to its rightful owner. But not only are they going to get it back, they're going to get it back in the, the way of the Torah. So sometimes it can be four or five times the value of whatever was taken, they get back. After all that gets paid back, the remainder gets split evenly amongst, uh, um, divided equally. The, and we see at the end, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, it says, At the end, what's going to happen in the end? That the entire world is going to know that God is one, His name is one, and He is only one. So we're going to see over here that all this is going to come out, that nobody's going to be able to say, no, Christianity and Islam and this. At the end of the day, everybody's going to see there's only one God, and everyone's going to know about this one God. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 10, says that what's going to happen to Yerushalayim? It's going to expand. And it's to accommodate all the exiles that is going to come into it. But it's also something, something very interesting, that the world is going to be flattened. Especially all around Israel is going to be flattened. So, but Yerushalayim is still going to be on the mountain. So you're going to see, like, it's really going to be literally put on, like, a pedestal. It's really, it's, it's going to be up there, and everything else is going to be flattened, um, so that it should appear higher than everything else. So now, 
when we look at uh, these two prophecies, the main prophecy that we spoke about was Yechezkel and Zechariah. So we look at these two prophecies, there seems to be somewhat of a contradiction among them. In Yechezkel, it seems that the Jewish people are not really so involved in the war. And you look at Echazkel chapter 38 verse 22, it says that God is going to judge them with pestilence and blood and bring rain and hailstones and all, all brimstone and fire upon them. So, that it appears and it seems like that what? That God's going to take uh, care of that. However, if we look at Zechariah, and you look at, let's say for example, Zechariah chapter 14 verse 2, it says that God, I'm going to gather all the nations of the world to Yerushalayim for, for, for a war, which, which appears that the Jewish nation is involved in the war. So the question is, is, are we involved in the war? Are we fighting in the war? Are we not fighting in the war? So to answer this, I saw it beautifully, it answers in Malachi chapter 3 verse 23. And the answer is, I'm gonna send for you, uh, you know, Eliyahu Anavi before the day, the great and awesome day of the, of, of Hashem. Of, uh, you know. So now, the part that I wanna focus on is Hagadol Vanora. It's two, the two words that they use over here. One is Hagadol, great, and one Hanora, awesome. Now, what is it, what, why is two, two specifically, you know, ideas, you know, representing the same thing? Because it could, depends. It could either be great or awesome. If it be great, Gadol, this is gonna be like the prophecy of Yechezkel, which means this is that if the Jewish nation are worthy, the Jewish nation stand back, God's gonna take care of everything. However, if unfortunately we're not worthy, then it's gonna be Hanorah, awesome. That it's gonna be like the prophecy of Zechariah. Which is not worthy, which is going to be, this is going to be involved with Yoshlaim, and it's going to be involved with, uh, uh, in the way that it described in, in the prophecy in Zechariah. Okay. But Reb Sadia Gohan says uh, very, something very interesting, that you know, this is, um, this sequence is not definite, it's actually contingent. It depends. And he says also, furthermore, it says, Mashiach ben Yosef doesn't necessarily have to appear before Mashiach ben David. It all depends on the spiritual condition of the Jewish people at the time of the redemption is going to take place. Where are we holding in the spiritual thing? If we are high, we could have Mashiach ben David and it could be amazing. It could be awesome. It could be, it could be just, you know, everything could be amazing. However, if we are not, unfortunately, then God is going to have to bring us first Mashiach ben Yosef. And that is going to bring us through repentance. And we have to, you know, and that's not going to be the easy way. You know, it's like there's always a good cop in the back cup. It's the, bad, the tough way or the, we're going to get there. But the question is how we're going to get there. So, the... You know, we, we spoke about um, in Yerushalayim, by the time of the Exodus, it says that one-fifth of the Jewish population only, uh, only exited the Exodus. They only left. Which means there's 20% of the Jewish nation left the, left the, um, left Mitzrayim. Where happened to the other 80%? They didn't make it. Why didn't they make it? So, we know that one of the reasons was is that they, you know, the people that only desire to go out, they actually went out. The other people said, listen, you know, you know, it's good for us over there. They had a bunch of plagues over here. They were making money. They were successful in Egypt. Now they're starting to get back. They said, listen, you know, you guys go. We'll catch up. You know, or like, it's good for us over here. So those people <coughs> didn't make it. The same thing is going to happen in the day. So we're going to be like, listen, you guys go. America is good to us. I have a whole business over here. Well, I'm going to go and leave everything. Go to Israel. You know what? You, those people are not, you know, the people, the people, the, the only those who desire redemption with all their hearts, they're going to be redeemed. We see this is part of the Animamin. Animamin. I wanted to come. I wanted to come, not so it should come over there. I wanted to come, so I want to be part of that. I wanted, that's why I wanted to come. And the Chafetz Chaim says that, you know, if you're really truly yearning for redemption, then you have to start preparing for redemption. You know, how better yet show that you are ready for it when you're preparing for it? So he says, first of all, you know, it's very, it's very important, you know, what happens when Mashiach comes? We're going to get to Beit HaMikdash. How many people know the laws of Beit HaMikdash? What are you supposed to do? Everyone's going to be like, oh, we don't know what to do. How many people are actually anticipating and waiting for it, doing tshuva, waiting for, them to, for, for Mashiach to come? Those people that are constantly waiting and are constantly anticipating, they're doing tshuva, they're getting, they're preparing themselves for Mashiach, those are the people that are going to be, Bezat Hashem, uh, sticking uh, around. So now, the, you know, if you look at all the sources that we spoke about, and you look, it's, you know, 
it's it's like at one point we're anticipating, at one point we're pretty nervous for it. So it's like you know it's like a split personality uh, situation going on over here. But if you ask somebody, and, and by the way, you ask anybody before we get to the somebody, we'll ask anybody, is the end of the world coming? Ask majority of the people. They'd be like, yeah, something's happening. You know, besides all the tension that's going on with all the, you know, all the nations of the world and what's going on. And, um, and also, you know, you know what it is? It's the first person that pushes the button. The first nut job that pushes the button, the fireworks for everybody. It's going to be, let's say, everyone's pushing buttons. And by buttons, I mean nuclear bombs and, and, you know, unfortunately, who knows what else. So the end is coming. And you see over here, people are saying, no, there's going to be a planet. Uh, there's a, you know, Nibiru is coming in. And you ask anybody, everybody has a different reason why the end of the world is coming. I'm not talking about anybody who knows anything about Mashiach, just in general. And you have people, by the way, you have people that you, they go and they build these houses that are four, you're talking about like two feet thick of like steel and concrete. Like I saw one house that um, this is this house is like. First of all, in order to get to it is a drawbridge. It's like a castle, and <clears throat> there's no the windows are like blocked by steel, like like literally two feet of like serious thing. I mean, like as if that's going to protect you from you know a nuclear you know attack. But like you know you think about it, like people are going and they're they're doing all these things. Are they crazy? Are they, you know, they're being precautious from what they, from, you know, they have the money, they have the ability to do it, so they do it. There, there are many people that have been actually building bunkers for all these, they're unfortunate people that built also for a zombie apocalypse, you know, uh, things, which is, which is funny because I, I once mentioned this and they said, well, listen, you know, resurrection of the dead, you know, kind of, I'm like, yeah, but that's real people coming, not like dead people going to eat, you know, but like, again, okay, so people go and they run with their, with their, you know, with their scientific, uh, you know, uh, fiction, um, the science fiction, I'm sorry, um, ideology, and they go wing with it, whatever, you know, whatever makes them happy. But you think that's going to help you? You think a steel concrete thing is going to help you from the times of Mashiach? The only thing that's going to help you is Chuba. Chuvah, and we spoke about it before, Tuah Masim Tovim, these are things that are going to help you. It's going to be a spiritual war, and it's going to manifest itself in a physical way, but to be saved, to survive from it, is returning to God, and that, that in itself. So, um, maybe we'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll give a, you know, we'll end off with um, just a quick recap, and then we'll finish with this. The, we'll see that Gog, which some of these things I didn't mention, so I'll just mention it briefly. Now, Gog is going to be the leader of Meshach and Tuvah, and he's going to defeat the king of Babylon in battle. And Gog will take all his treasures. And what happens is also in the future, the kingdom of Persia will fall into the hands of Rome. And after the victory of, over per, uh, Persia, Gog and his army is going to go into the land of Israel. After, then Gog is going to act towards the Jews with a sense of power and rule. And he's going to declare that all the Jews should be expelled from the land. And he wanted to give the land to the non-Jews, the uh, land of Israel. And uh, the, then, you know, Gog is also part of the siege. I and mean, we said also the Jewish people are going to be taken to the siege. And Jerusalem is going to fall, unfortunately, to, the, to, uh, to Gog, to Amilot. And half of its inhabitants are going to be expelled. And they're going to be, unfortunately, being housed in ten camps in the desert. And the houses, by the way, of those that are going to be expelled are going to be destroyed. And Hashem is going to be the one going to war against Gog and his army. And this battle is going to be the same model as the historical ten plagues that we have in Egypt. And blood is going to be spilled. And we said there's going to be so crazy. There's going to be one person fighting against each other. One brother against, fighting against the other brother. And Hashem is going to make this tremendous noise in the world. And the Havaz team is going to split. And you know what's going to happen? We spoke about this in the last class, I believe it was, that the land, at the end of the day is the land of Ishmael and Edom. The, these are going to land in the desert. They're going to be, they're going to be nothing. They'll talk about, you know, investing in real estate and these, those places, not good. At the end of the day, it's not going to be worth anything. So, <clears throat> there's going to be heavy hailstones, like, you know, like the time of Exodus is going to fall down. And the birds and the animals are going to eat the corpses. There's going to be so much bodies over there. And there's going to be just utter destruction throughout the entire world. And who is going to survive? Only those that go back and return. Return to, uh, to Akadosh Baruch, return to the Torah. 
the main point of this shul is, the main point is to show the, the severity of it and to show that, you know, the only thing that's going to save us is tshuva. The two 20%, ho- listen, hopefully it's not going to be 20%. Hopefully the entire Jewish nation is going to come back to do tshuva and everyone's going to be, it's going to be 100% and it's going to be the right way. But whatever way, at least we have to make sure that we're going to be in that part that's get, uh, that gets saved. And the, the biggest thing is don't fool yourself. People think, okay, come on. You know, I keep Shabbat, I keep kosher, I learn Torah once a week, twice a week, three times a week. So I'm for sure going to be saved. You know how many people I know that? Don't be so sure about yourself. And one thing for sure, definitely don't fool yourself. The one thing is that every single one of us, every single one of us, we all need to do tshuva. We all to in, need to increase our study in Torah. We all need to increase in our observance of Torah, whether it be Shabbat, whether it be in any mitzvah, we have to increase everything. Because we can see, ask any, the day is coming. It's coming. The end of times, it's just coming. There's, regardless of who we ask, it's going to be here soon. So, whether, B'zav Hashem, let us be on the part that survives and can see the glory of Mashiach and not, unfortunately, the part that doesn't. Chazak Uba'uch. Any questions? No. Yeah. Are you going to be in Brooklyn or when this happens? It's a good question. Depends where you are. Oh. Wherever you're going to be, that's where it's going to be. It's going to start afterwards, after Gog and Magog. That's when that, it says, I forgot, um, I should have brought this down, but the Sukim say that um, the nations of the world, with the ones that are surviving, they're going to bring the Jewish people to El Tisrael. They're actually going to go and, and bring it. Yeah. It sounds like this war is going to happen after all the nuclear bombs are <coughs> Civilization is all like. Done. Either it's going to happen then or it's going to be during it. By the way, I didn't mention, but, but you know, because I said a 12, uh, you know, I once mentioned this, a 12-minute war, people said, all right, so it's going to be over pretty quick. But the aftermath, I once read, and I can't, I, I, I can't, I don't recall the source for it, the aftermath is going to be 12 months. So rather the war, but still an aftermath of that is, is you know, serious. Well, I was just going to ask, let's say, you kind of answered this already, but I was just going to ask, like, say, when you know the war starts, we're just supposed to go to Israel? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So... It's, um, but, but, you know, this is why people already moved to Israel. You guys big rabbis, they say just come to Israel already because it's happening. Any other questions? No. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.